0: Welcome to Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com. Arbor Bridge Church's weekly podcast with your teacher, Daryl Canty. Arbor Bridge Church exists to bridge the gospel and our community by connecting people to Jesus and each other. Visit us online at arborbridgechurch.com
1: The the Bible teaches that God is love, which is a powerful idea. Uh, God sums up what love is uh, I, I'm glad that it says that in the Bible. I'm glad that it says God is love. Um, it's obviously, it's obviously true. Um, when each of us hear hear you know the word love, we have an idea of what it means. Um, and you can guarantee that the that our idea of love and our idea of God is is infinitely smaller than what God really is or what love really is. Um it is it's it's tiny in comparison. So for example, when when I say I love, I, I when I use the word love, um it means that that you'll agree with me. Um it means I've got a worldview that's important and, 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 and even precious to me. And when I use the word love, I mean you you will make your world view mine. And if you don't, then then that's 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 wrong or that's hateful. Um, when when I think of when I think of God being love, I think what He means by that is that He won't let anything bad happened to me and i'm not I, and i i'm not saying that i can ask for whatever i want That he's a genie and he'll give me like uh, the, but what i what i what i mean is is i've got this picture of how i want my life to go um and how i want my kids life to go um and i'm asking and if i'm asking him for something that i think is good um then if he loves me he will he will give me that that thing or he will do it uh I want to talk more about this, those specific ideas next week, but um, when I read God is love, it could lead me to misunderstand what love is and who God is because of my limited perspective. I can't, I can't see everything. I can't see all the things that are going on. So, Uh, I will share with some of you guys before that when I was in college, I ended up at a friend's house for the weekend. And if you've ever, if when you were in college, if you've ever ended up, up at a friend's house for the weekend, you know, once you get there, you're stuck. So whatever they're doing, you're doing with them. So I ended up at this, this weekend with some of my friends and they were watching the BBC version of a little movie called Pride and Prejudice. Um, So, and if you've not heard of Pride and Prejudice, uh, it's 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 first a book before it's a movie, a romance novel set in the 1800s, written by this brilliant author named Jane Austen. And I don't think I was her demographic when she was writing this novel. Uh, I I was at this friend's house, and I don't know if you know, but the BBC version is like a miniseries, and so... You know, they kept, they, you know, this is, this is binging before binging could happen. They just, they kept putting in the next one. Um, and so it was just like six hours of pride and prejudice. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, watching it, it's, it's done in the old English. And I didn't understand half of it. And I'm, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, how can I get out of here? Uh, and I, at the end of of seeing it, I, I, in my mind, what I thought was, I, I hate Jane Austen. Um, I don't, if I never read her, hear of her again, I, I, it'll be too soon. Um, I, I just, I, I couldn't understand. I just thought, it, all Jane Austen material, I just, I, I hated it. Until 2005, uh, when a two hour version of the story came out. Uh and at, at the risk of getting man points taken away I really liked it. I thought it was good. Yeah. right? Thank you. Uh I, it might it might even be in my top 20 favorite movies of all time. So I want to I want to explain a little bit of it for you so I'm sorry if I ruin it for you. So the main star of the movie is a woman named Elizabeth and um Elizabeth is smart and pretty and she speaks her mind which was very frowned upon in the 1800s um so but she does, she does. And the co-star of the movie is a man named Mr. Darcy. Um Mr. Darcy's rich and smart and probably a bit prideful. Um, he's, he's, but the important for you to remember is that he's awkward. Uh, he's very introverted. Uh, and and but he's perceived by most to be, uh, to, to be arrogant and self-centered and stuck up. And the kind of person who would never, uh, never lower himself down to interact with people of the lower classes. That's how he's, that's how he's perceived at least. And so, and certainly this is how Elizabeth sees him. Um, she has really bad feelings towards Mr. Darcy as soon as he meets him almost, almost immediately. So Elizabeth's negative feelings about Mr. Darcy are confirmed by some of his actions. Um, when Mr. Darcy's friend, Mr. Bingley and Elizabeth's sister, Jane, uh, they, they hit it off when they meet and they're headed towards this romantic relationship and Mr. Darcy breaks them up. And most people assume it's because of Jane's lower standing or, you know, she's lower class and Mr. Bingley's upper class. So, you know, they they assume that that's why uh, Mr. Darcy breaks him up. And Elizabeth, of course, doesn't like that. Um, How could he do such a thing? Also, Elizabeth meets a man named Mr. Wickham. And Mr. Wickham is charming and charismatic. He's outgoing. He's the kind of guy that you meet. And when you walk away from him, you're like, I like that guy. You're not even sure why. He's just... That kind of personality. So Mr. Wickham and Elizabeth begin a friendship. And Mr. Wickham tells Elizabeth how Mr. Darcy is... He greedily cheated him out of an inheritance... So, you know, another boo, Mr. Darcy, um, he's bad, he's terrible. And Elizabeth's distaste for Mr. Darcy is just growing all the time. So, which sets up for this really, really awkward situation. Um, Elizabeth is standing under this colonnade, uh, this stone colonnade, and it's raining outside. And Mr. Darcy shows up unexpectedly, and he begins to explain to her how the last few months of his life have been like torture, have been like agony. And he's, he's fought against his better judgment, um, the inferiority of her birth. Um, the, his opinion, the opinions of his family, um, he's fought against all those things to tell her that he loves her and he'd like to marry her, um, which of course Elizabeth finds baffling because she can't stand him, um, and she lets him know very clearly uh, that that she can't stand him and that she 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 says um that she as soon as she met him she knew that he was the last man she could ever be prevailed upon to marry uh it it, it was it was rough so Mr. Darcy's in love with Elizabeth and Elizabeth can't stand Mr. Darcy. Uh, How could she ever marry someone so arrogant and greedy and prideful? Um, And the author and the the screenwriters and the directors, they they do a really good job of bringing the audience along so that when this happens, you hate Mr. Darcy too. You're like, why would you you even ask a question like that? And you're right there with them. You're right there with them. And then something changes. The uh, situation after situation revealed that quite possible. It's quite possible that we've misunderstood Mr. Darcy, uh, and maybe he's not who we think he is. Um, maybe we've misunderstood uh, the, what he did between Mr. Bingley and Jane. Um, maybe we've misunderstood Mr. Uh, Mr. Darcy's relationship between Mr. Wickham and Mr. Darcy, and m- maybe we've under- misunderstood his, his introvertedness. And you might guess, you might guess this. You know, this is a romantic novel. You might guess by the end of the movie, the conclusion that Elizabeth comes to is that she's misunderstood Mr. Darcy. She changes her mind and she agrees to marry him. She was way over here, I hate you, based on what she perceived of him and she finds out throughout the movie that she's grossly misunderstood him to the point where she says, I want to be married to you. She... Grossly misunderstood who he was. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you to consider this. Is it possible, do you think it's possible, that you've misunderstood God this much? Do you do you think that it's possible that you could grossly misunderstand who God is? Like that that something's gonna happen, or you're gonna get to heaven one day, and you're gonna show up and you're gonna be like, oh is that how it is? Is is that what you were doing? That we could grossly misunderstand not like oh he do you think it's possible that you've misunderstood God that much and then what would it take or what would it look like what would it look like to misunderstand who God is in such a grand way such a grand way and what could a, could a real Jesus follower misunderstand God that grossly In the first century, um, very soon after the resurrection of Jesus, a man named Stephen, um, is standing up to Jews who think that Jesus is a fraud. And these Jews all, they, they're, they're all there and they, they know about Jesus and they thought, they thought that he was evil. They thought that he was from the devil. In fact, they say that, they say that in the gospel. They, you know, they say, you're from the devil. And Stephen won't shut up about teaching and talking about how Jesus is the Messiah. So they stone him to death. To get him to shut up, they stone him to death. They, they, they kill him, they murder him. And a guy named Saul is right there watching the whole thing and an ancient uh, historian named Luke writes about Saul and this is what he says. Saul agreed to the killing of Stephen, agreed that the killing of Stephen was good. On that day, the church of Jerusalem began to be persecuted and all the, all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria and some religious People buried Stephen and cried loudly for him. And Saul was also trying to destroy the church, going from house to house, dragging out men and women and putting them in jail. So Saul had this reputation uh, for doing terrible, terrible things to Jesus' followers, um, for destroying the church, uh, destroying everyone who trusted in the name of Jesus. Uh, And and Jesus' followers were, were, were terrified of him. They were terrified of him. So Saul saw Jesus and Jesus' followers as a threat to everything that was good. So, so much so, he sought to put them in prison, to put them to death, and at the very least, he stood by and applauded as they were murdered. So, and then something changed. And then something changed. And situation after situation reveal that Saul has grossly misunderstood Jesus grossly misunderstood him he he's not who saul thought he was saul grossly misunderstood jesus ministry he grossly misunderstood jesus death and saul probably didn't believe that jesus had risen from the dead and someone who knows the bible far better than any of us completely misread it completely misread it he completely misread who jesus was jesus is And Saul had to deal with some really hard questions. And and, and one of the first ones he he had to deal with is this. What if I've grossly misunderstood who God is? Like, if if God is love, what if I've grossly misunderstood what that means? What if all my assumptions about God are wrong? Uh, uh, What if God isn't who I think he is? What if he's better? What if he's way better? What if he's far better than I imagined him to be? Some of you know that Saul changed his name to Paul, and Paul becomes this intense lover of Jesus Saul grossly misunderstands who Jesus is and then becomes this lover of Jesus. And so Paul spends all his time teaching and proclaiming the good news about how Jesus is the Messiah, the same thing that they killed Stephen for. And when when at one point in Paul's life is described like this, he says this, now Paul stayed two full years in his own rented lodging and welcomed all who came preaching the kingdom of God and teaching things about the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Uh, I I was was introduced to this, this last phrase, openness unhindered, when I was getting ready for this. And this is in the, 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 uh, the NA, NA, NASB version. Not, it's not, I don't, I don't think it's in any other, other versions, but I love how, he, how it says this, openness unhindered. And when you read that, you're like, what does that mean? What is that supposed to mean? I don't know, but I know that I want, I want, I want my relationship with Christ to be open and unhindered. Maybe the reason I misunderstand God is because I don't have this—that openness, that unhinderedness. I, I I want my relationship to God with God to be that. That is what His, his love allows for. That is what His love calls on, calls for. Call, so, and let, let me let me explain. So I'm a, I don't want to talk long, but I want I, I just want to explain this. Here's what I mean by unhindered. My knowing Christ isn't hindered by my limitations, by my weakness. My knowledge of who Christ is isn't limited by my tiny brain, by who I think he is, by all the preconceived ideas about what I think God is and what I think love is when I walk into any room. My walking with Christ is consistently hindered by my sin or my weakness or by my limitedness. And it's, it's dependent on how good I can be or how smart I can be or how much I can read or how much I can know. Um, and I don't like that. I don't like that idea. Because certainly, maybe maybe I'll misunderstand, who God, I'll misunderstand who God who God is and what our relationship with him is and what he expects me to be. Um, I, I think that it's my ability. Sometimes I think this, sometimes I think this. I think it's my ability to hold my sin in check that makes my ability to know him. It, it, like my ability to hold my sin in check is, is, is what my ability to know him depends on. And I want to. I'm going to bring this up to you gonna say this out loud. And, and, and we all, we all. I think most of us feel this way. My ability to be good determines how much God lets me in, or how. And I, I, that's. Let me let me read you this. Former professor and author Rosaria Butterfield says this. He says, "It is not the absence of sin that makes you a Jesus follower, which is really really good news, right?" It's the presence of Christ in the midst of your struggle that commits the believer and sets you apart in the world. Woo! That's good news. But Christ in my struggle makes me a Jesus follower. I make Christ love for me based on how good I can be, but what an awful thing to assume. Christ through the Holy Spirit reveals himself to me and without him, I don't know anything about who he is. I could not know. He reveals himself to me. And I let my sin be a barrier to knowing Christ. And certainly my love, my love of my sins Am I remembering my sins? Am I feeling bad about my sins? Am my assumption, assumptions that it's my ability to keep my sins in check? That, that, that's was going to help me follow Christ more? That's ridiculous. Listen to what Paul says. He says this. God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. It doesn't say, it doesn't say to me. It says what? It says in me. It, which is even better because he, what, 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 to me what that's saying is, he's going to reveal it in me, through me. He's gonna, Christ is going to come through me. He's going to do the revealing, not me based on how good I've been, not me based on how much I can keep my sin in check. Not God showing uh, showing me Christ and me saying, oh, I'll try to be hard to be like him. It's God showing me Christ and me being willing to let God reveal him in me. So maybe I read the Bible just like before. But instead of trying really hard to, to be good, I pray something like this. I pray something like this. I, re, I, read, I read the 1 Corinthians 13, what it says all about love. Instead of saying, ooh, I'm gonna try really hard to be that, I say, Father, I see these things in your word and I'm convinced I can't do it. Would you reveal it in me? Would you reveal it in me? So I grew up in church grossly misunderstanding how that thing works. The apostles, the Apostle Paul's sins are great. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. Um, listen to this. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. He has hurt and abused many people, many people who love Jesus. He may have been responsible for the murder of some of them. But he never lets how sinful he's been in the past or how sinful he is in the present be the ceiling for him in regards to knowing Christ and loving Christ. How good I can be is not the ceiling to me knowing Christ and loving Christ. we hinder our ability to know him and it's far, far more likely that we'll be closed to him in some area of our lives because of shame or because... But unhindered means that our failures do not keep us from Christ. We, do not keep, we don't keep endless track of how many times we failed God or failed our friends or failed our families or failed our consciences in sin. Instead, we keep a record... Instead of keeping record, we pray for the unearned, unearned gift of forgiveness. And instead of remembering our sins, we remember God's covenant with us. And when we do that, we're unhindered. The devil loves to get in your way and hinder your path. But instead of remembering your sins, you remember what God's promised. Then you're unhindered. I want that to define my relationship with Christ. Instead of misunderstanding what it is what I think it's supposed to be. So let me say this about openness. So the covenant, the covenant with Christ leads to openness with him. The covenant with Christ leads to openness with him. When two people get married, um, part of what they're promising is this. No matter what What I find out after this point, I won't run away. Right? For better or for worse, I will not run away because of what sin is revealed later. And where do we learn that from? Christ, of course, the kind of covenant, it makes openness safe. So when you go on your first date, you don't drag out all your dirty laundry in that first date. And if you did, people will run away from you. But when you, are, when you are in covenant, then it leads to this openness. It leads to this openness. So we are more sinful. Tim, author Tim Keller and Pastor Tim Keller says this. I love this quote. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe, which is hard for us because we are self-righteous. That at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Is it possible that Jesus Christ is better than you think and not and not just a little better not not like not like you're, you're supposed to get paid fifty dollars, and you get paid fifty-five. It's more like you owe somebody fifty-five dollars, and they give you ten billion. Is it possible? Is it possible that you've grossly misunderstood how much Jesus Christ loves you? Listen. Our sin is bad. Bad choice making is bad, no doubt. And, and and sin is bigger and deeper and longer than our bad choice making. Um, it, it it is a part of us. We are born with a, with a draw towards it, um, and and certainly is is an awful thing. We're all born this way. We're all in the same boat. And yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever dared hope. I've grown up, I've grown up knowing, you know, knowing that the song Jesus loves me. I sang the song. I heard the message. I've heard pastors and preachers and teachers all tell me it. And so, so when people tell me the truth, I think I know it. I think I get it. I think I, I, I like, okay, I get it. I got it. And I'm not open to the idea that his love is more than I know. Openness to the idea that God's love is better than you think is the beginning of you knowing God in a way that you cannot know Him if you think you've got Him all figured out. If you've heard all the stories, if you've got it all, you've got it all down pat. So, some of you guys have heard before this story. Um, C.S. Lewis is an author. I read the Chronicles of Narnia. Super smart. Some people consider him the greatest, uh, greatest Christian mind of our time. He was in a group of super smart guys, and they're all asking him questions. And one of the questions was C.S. Lewis, what's the most profound thought about God that you've discovered in your studies? And this is what he said Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Is it possible? That you've grossly misunderstood what God says when he says, I love you. I am love. The devil loves it when we misunderstand who God is. And based on that, you know, misunderstanding, we reject him or we deny some, you know, him some access to part of our life or we keep him in a box. Um, He loves it. He loves it. But if we rightly understand how wide and deep and high and long his love is, we would never say no to him. We would never say no to him. So, what if God isn't who you think he is? What if he's better? What if he's way better? Could you receive that message and be open to it and not let yourself hinder what he wants to say to you? So today, uh, as we take communion together, I would love for you to think about how God may be beyond your expectations of who he is. Next week, I'm going to be asking you, you know, again, I'm going to ask you to, next week, I'm going to be asking you to do something that mentally that's going to be challenging in regards to how you perceive God or how you think about God. So I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know ahead of time, <laughs> it's going to be challenging, but I want to ask you to prepare yourself by letting go and letting the Lord lead it. I love. I love for you. I love for you to do this. I love for you for, for you to begin with the word love. The Bible teaches God is love. We all have ideas about what that means, but but every single thing we know about love is only a limited version of what He's talking about when He says that. Everything we know about it is just so. I, I, our limit in this keeps us from seeing what he's like. And I, and, and I just want you to, the, whatever ideas that you think you have or you know when, the, when we sing or we say the same, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible. I want you to open your hands and say, I don't know anything. I'm starting from scratch. God, you show, show me what you mean when you say that. Show me what you mean when, when, you, when you say those words. I'm not going to act like I know everything or I've got it. I, I, you show me. So during these next few moments, as we take communion together today, what if what if we just assumed that God wanted to speak to us, that he wants to reveal more of himself to us, despite the fact that we're sinners? What, would you be open to that? Would you be open to that? Would you be just open to just praying, God, reveal to me something new about your love. Even though I've been a maybe you've been a Christian your whole life and you've heard it all and you know it all great. Let me pray together. We'll take communion together and then uh, I'll I'll dismiss you in just a few minutes. Let's pray, dear Father. I am uh, I am certain that I have grossly misunderstood you in some way. And I, while I'm on this planet, I want people, I want, I want to give people eternal life, which is knowing the Father and knowing you, I want to give that away. And I'm, I'm confident that I can do it better if I am open Handed and open minded when I come into your presence. And I am unhindered by my limitedness. I pray that you would help us all, especially those of us who, who, who've been Christians, we've read, we've heard all the stories, we've, do, we've done all the things. Help us in these moments to give you permission to show us what we've missed. Show us what we've, we've not been seeing so that we and our relationship with you can be open and unhindered and we can see things in your life, your death, and your resurrection that we've never seen before. Well, we'll When we see them, we're going to wonder, Why, how did I miss that? How did I not see that? I pray that you would do that, do that with us now. And I pray that all of us, each of us, each of us who are, who are here in person and each of us who are, who are listening online would expect you to speak, to show up. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening. If you would like more information on our church, visit us online at Arborbridgechurch.com.